Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday, Dan. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, Dan. You're listening to the Repcolite Home Improvement Show, and this week we've got two big topics that we're going to address, and they're completely, I can't. I don't think they're polar opposites. I don't know that there is such a thing. <laughs> they're different. They are very different. At the last half of the show, we're going to be talking with, I'm going to be talking with interior designer Lauren Figueroa about a blog post on her website Basically built around the idea of helping a family take a sitting room and make it look like adults live in the house as well, not just children. <laughs> so I think that's an issue that a lot of us can relate to. We'll be talking about that and how you can pull that off in your own space. But right now we're joined by John Vick from our 17th Street store. John, thanks for being here. That's when, John, you would say, you're welcome. <laughs> or, I'm glad to be here. Or <laughs> something along coaching. those lines. Or, <laughs> wow, this really sucks. Why did you guys drag me in here? Yeah. John, <laughs> John sat down and he said, I'm just a touch nervous. And I said, it'll be fine. John, I'm going to withdraw my statement about it being fine. Because you have to respond, dude. <laughs> this is radio. We yeah. can't see you nod. John, thanks for being here. Um. Thanks for inviting me. Look at that. Glad to be here. <laughs> Look at that. That's you're, so easy, isn't you're it? You're a pro now. <laughs> anyway, you've just won all the listeners over. They're all pulling for you. <laughs> anyway, we started this segment with some unusual music. The Beatles, you can't do that. Um, everything by the Beatles is pretty much amazing. Yes. That's a song that we picked because, Dan, you pitched early in the summer. You wanted to do some segments on things you can't do. Right. Which is everybody's favorite thing to talk about. More things <laughs> that we Let's can't Let's bring do. everybody down on a Saturday morning. Right. So we've talked about a number of different things along the lines of fires. Yeah. What you can have. Recreational fires. Yeah. Fire pits in your backyard. Arsony things. Those are always wrong <laughs> everywhere. But fire pits and stuff. We talked about texting and driving and stuff when right. that law came out. Right now, we want to talk about what, honestly, when you pitched this topic to me, Dan, you threw out the idea of drones, using drones. Yeah. And I, that's what won me over on, on this whole I know. Concept. Your eyes lit up. I saw it. Because I really like the idea of using drones for photography and stuff like that, but I know there are a ton of different rules, a ton of different things, and I get very nervous. I don't want to be in trouble. Right. Just not get arrested. Cool with that. I weep quickly. You I don't want to be on the news. Exactly. Repcolite doesn't want that. <laughs> no, I don't want you to be on the news. Yeah. Anyway, John, you're kind of gadgety. Yeah. I do like gadgets. <laughs> And drones, that's one of the things you, you do. I think you use, a lot of it is for photography, right? Because right. you're really into photography. Right. Talk about that a little bit. Where did that come from and what all do you do with that? Well, I have a YouTube channel and a TikTok. Um, I've kind of jumped ship on YouTube just because TikTok's quick and yeah. not a lot of production. Um, so what kind of things easier. are you, you shooting? Um, again, just a lot of my... Gadgety cameras, 360 cameras, um, drone videos, nothing super high end, just gadgety, yeah. gimmicky sort of things. Well, that's kind of fun. It's fun to watch because uh, every time, every now and then, we need some help with something. We made some internal videos for the company. Yeah, right. And you did the drone, like the intro. Yeah, right. you zoomed in on the store uh -huh. and stuff like that. So, how long have you been messing around with drones in a legal manner? Not, not to imply <laughs> that there that was an illegal portion of time. <laughs> right. How long have you been doing it? Quite a while. I bet you nine, ten years. Okay. Wow. Since I got my first drone. Mm? When did they really come out and start I being I didn't even think they were around that long. Um, I've had like the very first iteration of the DJI drone 
So, right. and then, yeah, my wife keeps upgrading them for me. She does. One. So she's yes. cool with all of this. Oh, yeah. This hobby. Yep. All right. Nice. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of what we wanted to talk about. Things you can't do when it comes to getting a drone. And I'll just throw this out there because I have been really interested. I've loved watching people take some of the videos and stuff like that. I think that would be fun. I'd like to have video of me mowing my yard from above. I think, you know, the way right. God looks at me as I mow and take care of the creation that I've been blessed with. I, but I am nervous. I'm, I'm concerned and confused is probably the best way to talk about all the different rules that are around there. Okay. So let's walk us through some of the things we need to know if we're going to jump into this hobby. The drone's there to help you and okay. it's to help you learn. Okay. So before you're even able to take off the ground, there's a trust test that you have to take. Okay. And it'll introduce you to all the do's and don'ts So I to the drone world. go to the store and I buy a drone. Right. Okay. I get my drone home and is this trust test, it's an online thing? It's something- It's an online test put out by the FAA. And I have to do it? You have to take it. How do they it? make yes. sure I do it? Your drone won't lift off the ground until you take it, until you've gone through the simple rules and regulations of what you can and can't do with your drone. Okay. All right, so I've got to take this trust test. Correct. Why do they call it a trust test? It stands they don't for trust you until you take the test. <laughs> is that what it is? It's not That's like I'm going to fall back on somebody and they're going to catch me. Uh, and I no, no, it's probably not that. Okay. Well, that's a trust test, <laughs> yeah, too. Uh, yeah. So this is not about finding out that I can trust somebody else. It's about the government finding Trusting out that you. I'm, I'm worthy right. to man this drone. So what does this trust test look like? Um, it's like five, eight simple questions and again once you get done it will issue a little certificate that you have to keep on you is it we frameable <laughs> like could i put that on my wall um it's more like a driver's license size mm. so you could put it in your wallet okay and, and you, you have might to, have to show that right and oh, oh. police officers or anybody that comes and interacts with you can ask you for that to make sure that you have that on you all right so it can be in your phone wallet so i could do that like the fbi might do oh yeah an old show <laughs> I would recommend I'm that. I'm licensed for this. And I'm going to get one blown up on my wall if I ever get past this trust test. Okay, so I'll do the trust test. I'll get my certificate, my license to fly. Right. And now my drone will work because yes. I've gone through the test. Right. So the drone is super smart. It is. And now you, you said earlier you started this by saying the drone wants to help me. It does. So it will link up to around 12 to 15 satellites. And it will, you let go of your controller, it will hover and it'll stay exactly where you left it. Now, how, how long has that been a feature? Because all, we've all heard stories about people who lose their drone and it just goes and goes <laughs> and goes, right? Yep. So well, how long has that been a thing? Because that's pretty slick. I think my Phantom 2 was the first one that had which, that feature. Which puts it back how many years? Probably about six years. Oh, so a while. Yeah. So it will connect to 12 different satellites? Approximately, yeah, give or take. It's always searching for more satellites. And it will GPS globally lock where your drone has, you know, where you last flew it. Okay. So it's okay. real easy to maintain control and not lose control. All right. So the drone is here to help me. Yes. But there are still rules that I've got to follow. So right. Let's get to the long list of rules. I know you've got a fair amount of them. Rule heavy, but some of, <laughs> most of this is pretty pretty common sense. It is. Um, first and foremost, you do have to register your drone if it's over 250 grams. So if it's under 250 grams, it's considered a toy, and That's you don't have to register. I would it. have a toy. 
Well, I actually have a 250-gram drone, and it functions and acts exactly like my more expensive drones. Okay. And that doesn't negate any of the rules other than the fact you don't have to register. So if I get a smaller drone, less than 250 grams? Correct. I do not have to register it. Right. If it's over 250 grams, then you do have to register it. And that's just an online thing, of course. Right. It's like $2, $3. Oh, will expense involved. Right. (laughs) You know, the drone's not free either, Dan. (laughs) No, this is just getting more and more expensive. And like your MC numbers, they'll give you FAA numbers that you have to display on your drone as well. So I've got to get little tiny stickers? Correct. Like little Barbie stickers. Or G.I. Joe. (laughs) G.I. Joe. Yeah, right, right. All right, John, we are just barely scratching the surface. We've got a lot more to cover. So I think what we're going to do is pause for a minute. We're going to play some commercials. And then when we come back, we'll be in the studio, still with John Vick from RepcoLite, talking about drones, everything you need to know if you want to jump into a new hobby. That's all next. Stick around. we're back. You're listening to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Benjamin Moore. And I am in the studio with Dan Altina and John Vick from Repco Light. And we're talking, carrying over a conversation that we started in the first segment, talking about drones. What you need to know in order to fly them legally and appropriately. And John, you basically gave us the beginning steps, you know, that we need to get the drone registered. Once we've done that, what's next? Um, well, flying under the influence is a no-no, flying outside of visual line of sight. So you always have to have visual line of sight of your drone. I not not just know that. Yeah. Not just watching on what the drone is Right. Seeing. I know people do that. My drone. Right. And they'll just send it up, and a lot of them have like a two-and-a-half-mile range. You and can't people see just, it two miles away. No. And that is a no-no. Okay. So um, I've got to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to very much limit me. My eyesight is not the best. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, interfering with manned aircraft, you cannot. Now, see, that seems pretty reasonable. I, I can't imagine that that's <laughs> right, yeah. a problem. Right. Um, you're not also you're not supposed to fly over four hundred feet. Four hundred feet is your ceiling for flight. So when I when I send my drone up, is it reporting back to me how high it is? Yes, it is on your screen at all time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I can see where I'm at. Yep. All right, so it can't go above four hundred feet. Can't interfere with helicopters and other things like that. Right. Makes perfect sense. I can't fly it somewhere where I can't see it. I can no longer see it. Right. So if my eyesight is not the best, that's going to limit me. (laughs) Well, you can have a spotter. Oh. because that counts. Right. Because, like, if you fly in first-person FPV drones, you have goggles on your eyes, so you're seeing everything through goggles. So your visual line of sight is no longer there. So oh, gotcha. if, if you're flying first person, then you okay. have to have a spotter. So there's such a thing as that. I can wear right. goggles, and I'm literally like I'm in the drone. Right. This is you got what that if I interested get, look on your I, face. I, what if you get motion sick? Is that gonna tip me over the edge? You'll have to uh, have well, a bucket with I'll you. have to have sit down and <laughs> sit down and fly. <laughs> I can't imagine that that's a good play for me. I think I need to not wear goggles. All right. Just do the one with but the that tablet is, or something. Yeah, that is interesting. But I could get a spotter even even if. So I'll get one mm-hmm. of the kids. I got one kid who can't see any better than me. <laughs> the other ones, they can spot it. Anything else that we should know and be aware of? Um, any type of disaster, fire, anything with the police when there's emergency people want to fly their drones, that's a big no-no as well. 
You cannot fly over any type of crash site or anything like that. Okay, that again seems pretty common sense. Right. So we were talking before the, we started this segment is – what about, can I fly it over my neighbor's house? Can I fly it over their patio while they're having dinner? Can I go to the state park Yeesh, and fly man, it over the beach? That's creepy. Right, it Where is. I, this is that? what I want to do with my drone, that, my <laughs> theoretical drone. So I did look into that's that. That's sarcasm, folks. Not everybody reads and hears sarcasm, Dan. Right, okay. Okay. Yes, this is, but I do want to know, am I restricted to just my own property, or where can I use it and where can't I? So you don't own the airspace over your property. Okay. And where that line is is not clearly drawn. Okay. Um, in Michigan, there is a um, reasonable respect of privacy. Okay. An so, expectation of an expectation privacy. expectation of privacy, right. So, again, if So it's somebody, not technically illegal, but it's, it's right. very much frowned upon if right. I would do that. If you're... I say 100 feet over somebody's property, the drones don't have the capability of zooming in and spying. Yeah. But if you're 10 feet from somebody's window in their house, you might be... Right. That would violate yeah. that expectation of privacy. Right. So what rights do any of us who are not... Maybe the drone is in our space. I mean, we've all seen stories or read stories where somebody is chucked something at the drone or they've smashed the drone out of the air or... yeah. So that is actually a federal crime. You cannot do that. You can't go after a drone, even if it's over right. my yard. Right. Huh. That's ruled by the federal airspace, so that is that big no-no. Okay. And yes, I have seen people destroying. Right. I, I guess I was going to ask that in the last little bit that we've got. You know, you've done a lot of this. Do mm -hmm. you? Because drones really are one of those love-hate things. There's people who absolutely love the fun of it, and then there's people who absolutely hate. The, the invasive concept, right, concept the, the, of it, kind of. The were of it and, and all of those things. So when you're doing it, do you run into issues with people griping so at you? I have found that if I'm flying with my daughter, people are very receptive to uh -huh. daddy-daughter oh. activities. Yeah. If I'm... <laughs> by yourself. By myself, yeah, they kind of question, look at you a little weirder. Okay. So, Yeah. All right. So you use yours. You take a lot of video and stuff like that. Or mm -hmm. what, what kind of things? Do Videos, you pictures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Sunsets. Big Red, our lighthouse here in Holland, yeah. is a popular. So do you have other drones zipping around? How does that go with other drones in your area? I've never flown with any other drones. Okay, so you've never run into that where no. other people are out there too. No. All right. All kinds of little rules. Are there, are there anything? Is there anything else that you want to throw in there? Um, flying over federal property. Um, uh, national forests, those are definite no-nos. Okay. Uh -huh. um, White House, obviously, but that type of environment. All right. And if you're in that environment, any new drones will not even let you take off the ground. And it'll say, this is a no-fly zone. Oh, and the so, drone won't even go? No, it won't even go. All right. So. All right. Any other main rules that we need to pay attention to? Um, can't fly over airports again. Which makes sense. Right. That makes sense. Is there like unwritten etiquette about this stuff? You know, things that you shouldn't do even though it's not technically illegal? You know, I don't know what an example of that would be. Like, I never see drones flying over the beach. Okay. Well, at one point there was – it was in law that you couldn't fly over people or groups of people. And I'm assuming because of the – you know, how good, Yeah, how, how well all good drones have gotten that – 
that law has been since rescinded. And you can now fly over people. You cannot hover over crowds of people. So, oh, like, say, I'm going to fly over Big Red. You have to fly in a direction. You can't sit there and hover. Okay. So you can fly to get to a destination. If you're doing one of these things that's not allowed, how do the authorities know that it's you doing it? It's just this little speck in the sky. They have drones that have, like, little sirens and stuff. And <laughs> they pull your drone over? Yeah, it's pretty fun So currently, there isn't a way. But, again, within the next couple of years, every drone is going to have to be chipped. So it it'll will be identifiable. Right. So you can pick up your phone. And it'll identify the drone, and it'll identify who's flying, and it'll also identify the your takeoff point. Wow. So all your information will be publicly available still once you put it. Still something people can jump into and figure out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. Yep. Just It seems like a big jump to get into it, but you can it's work not. your way through it. Yeah. Are you going to do it, Dan? Are you going to yeah. jump into it? Who knows, Dan? Let's be honest, no. <laughs> it's one of those things I'll want to and I'll think about, but really, I got a million of those things, and it might not will, reach the no, top of the none pile. of them ever get done. Something else breaks before any of those things happen, and that's what I focus on. Oh yeah. Anyway, we'll put links in the show notes. I'll just put your list in the show notes: things that you shouldn't do, things you can't do, and maybe some links to some other resources that people can dig up. I definitely have an extra drone in case you're, you know, reconsidered that All you right. can borrow. Okay. I think that's Dip something. your toe in. <laughs> I'll dip my toe in. I, I'm a big dipper. All right. Not a big tipper. <laughs> big dipper. Big All right. Dipper. John, before we let you go, a decent drone, like expense-wise, what am I looking at to get started? Do you have any models or anything you'd recommend or at least give us a price point? DJI's Mini, $200. Super drone. I mean, great 4K video footage, 30 frames per second. Yeah, they've come way down in price. All right. And it still has all the other features. It'll yep. travel out and it comes back to me if I lose. Return to home, all the sensors, side to side, front and back sensors so you won't run into it. Yep. Okay. GPS lock, everything. And that was what what particular drone? DJI's, the, right. the Mini. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can check that out if you're interested. John Vick, Repcolite's own John Vick, our gadget king. Thanks for being here, John. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. East Side listeners, you're going to get a Repcolite Rewind. West Side listeners, you get news and weather at the bottom of the hour. And then when we're all back together, I'm going to be on the phone with interior designer Lauren Figueroa talking about how families with little kids can make spaces that feel like adults live in the house, too. That's all just ahead. Stick around. And we're back. You're listening to the Repcolite Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Benjamin Moore. And right now, I'm on the phone with Lauren Figueroa, from Lauren Figueroa Interior Designs. Lauren, thanks for being here. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You've been on the phone with us before. Normally, Haley's been here to kind of be a buffer, <laughs> you know, and to temper me a little bit. But this time you got just me. So we'll see once how we do, huh? <laughs> I got faith in you, Dan. All right. Well, let's find out how I do. Anyway, before we get into the topic that we want to address, let's just talk a little bit about your business. And I think it's interesting because... You're one of the few people that we've talked to since we've um, we bought a bunch of stores on the east side of the state. We bought the Technicolor stores, and we've mm-hmm. been playing the show on the east side of the state. And every time we interview somebody, a lot of those people, most of those people have been west siders. 
And then for the East Side listeners, we try to connect them with like businesses, you know, in the show notes. You're one of the few that we've talked to in the past that actually work on that side of the state as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, back in 2020, my husband and I moved from Grand Rapids out to Metro Detroit area. And so wanted to keep working with my client base on the West side, but now have the flexibility to expand out here. So I'm so glad your show is now playing out here. Yeah, that's kind of fun, huh? Yeah, it's great. So anyway, you'll cover the East side of the state. You'll cover the West side of the state. What exactly, you know, you're an interior designer. People have that idea of what that means. What exactly do you do with your business? You've got a few interesting things that, I know you do like a design in a day and kind of thing. Talk a little bit about that for the listeners. Yeah, sure. So uh, like many designers, I also do full service where I'll walk clients, you know, start to finish through furnishings, decor project or remodel project. Um, but yeah, about three years ago, we started offering design in a day sessions. Um, and it's pretty unique service. Um, we come out, well, I come out and we, the client and I work together for a final hour block of time um, and the project range is pretty broad anything from you know we're redecorating and furnishing a space to we're working on a remodel plan for their kitchen or maybe they just come with their list of 50 design dilemma questions they want to tackle during that time and we work our way through them um, so it's a nice sort of cost effective and time efficient service for mm -hmm. clients to focus in, set that day aside um, and really get a lot done and then walk away with some resources and a plan to be able to execute on their own. Perfect. You'll help with that. Uh, residential stuff. Do you do commercial? A little bit of commercial. If it maybe leans a little more residential, maybe like a lobby for, say, like a real estate company or um, like a financial planner, the kinds of things where you're working with families in a space you want to feel comfortable, we'll do some like office furnishings type things for okay. that. All right. Well, we'll put your links and your info in the show notes so people can check it out. And I'll let you give that stuff at the end. But right now, let's shift into what I wanted to talk about. And I ran into a post on your blog, and it kind of got me thinking because it, it really, it, it comes, it addresses an issue that I lived with. And I never, <laughs> I never really resolved this in a, in a good way. It just kind of took care of itself as time went by. But the blog post was entitled, <laughs> Designing a Sitting Room That Feels Like Adults Live Here Too. Now, when I had uh -huh. little kids at home, because I had five kids, still got five kids, but they're, you know, 22 down to 16 soon, you know, so 15 right now. But that's mm -hmm. the age range. But when they were little, all of their stuff was omnipresent. I mean, it was everywhere. <laughs> they owned the home. Everything was childproofed. You know, we couldn't even get into the cupboard sometimes because there were just oh so gosh. many little things on everything, <laughs> toys everywhere. Really, it felt oh. like the home was designed around them. And I lived with mm -hmm. it, like I said, because I really didn't you know, think of th that there would be another way out of it. I just figured, you know, you've got little kids, this is what it's like, or you've got grandkids and this, <laughs> this is just what it's like. Someday this will be different and we'll get big people stuff again. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about this particular sitting room that you designed. And like, it, like the blog post says, it's basically built around the idea that you want it to feel like adults live here too. And we're going to get to that part of things, you know, working with you know, designing around kids and, and what you might be able to tackle. But mm -hmm. even if this first part of the conversation doesn't get into that, let's just talk about the process because I think this was one of those design in a day 
plans or was this yeah. not one of those situations? No, it was. Yeah. And this one was a little unique too, because it was a virtual session. So okay. this was a client out of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so and they, they look very similar, you know, where we have that five hour block set aside, the client just ends up doing a little bit more prep work as far as photographs and measurements, since I won't be in this space. Sure. So she had pulled all of that together for me ahead of time. Um, and then I always give clients some homework leading up to the session. So that when we get to it, they're not like, oh, I, don't, I haven't thought about this yet. Perfect. Um, That's great. You know, got to be prepared. So they'll come with um, some inspiration images and spaces that speak to them that we can talk through together. Um, I want them to think, you know, very intentionally about how does this particular space need to function? What do I want to do in here? How do I want it to feel? Any special considerations like, say, kids or pets? Mm -hmm. Um special needs for the family um and so that first chunk of you know maybe 30 minutes we're spending really honing in on that particular thing okay so what did it look like in this situation they got a hold of you and said they had a sitting room i forget what the quote was i thought it was kind of fun uh i'm finding it right now the person yeah. had said i want friends to walk in and feel like oh this is classy you know, I like that uh -huh. idea. I always wanted that. And then she said they should know that adults live here, too. And like I said, yes. I completely get that. So that was some of her concept. What did she have and what did you guys end up with? Yeah. So they had just moved into this house. They were upsizing, um, you know, young family. I think they had two kids, probably more on the way. Um, and this front entry space, uh, the picture she sent me only had like a single sofa mm -hmm. pushed up against the, that back wall and then a Christmas tree because it was the oh, Christmas, Christmas season. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really like you go in there to sit on the sofa and look at the Christmas tree. That's all like that's all you could do in that room. Right. Um, but the nice thing about this room is it's right off their entryway. So it's probably, you know, originally like a den or a home office or something like that. Um, and had these beautiful French doors. So the room was able to be closed off, but there was the window so you could see in. Um, and so at least in this particular situation, especially with the kid comment, like we want it to feel like adults live here too. This was gonna be a room we were kind of like setting aside that was gonna feel classy and adult-like that they could, you know, host their friends in, then close off when they need to. It wouldn't necessarily be like their main everyday living space where the kids are like exploding their toys everywhere it was going to gotcha. be sort of separate i know not everybody has that luxury but in this particular layout that was what was available to us well so that I, was think, cool. I think that's the first thing you know and that's one of those when we get to some practical tips that is a practical tip and it seems like a no-brainer, but sometimes we've got space that we don't realize we've got. You know, we use it for whatever, you know, they're using the city room for whatever purpose and not stopping to think that, wait a minute, this could be a separate space or whatever. But just assessing your area and what you've got to work with, not just because everybody's in it right now doesn't mean everybody needs to be in it down the road. Maybe this could be a singular space that is more focused on adults and entertaining. So that was kind of the first thing you did. So you've got this space, you've got pictures of it, and she must have given you visions of what she thought for furniture and stuff like that, right? And that was the sharing that she did, the homework that she did ahead of time? Yeah, yep. So she had pulled a bunch of images of sitting rooms, and um, she had sort of two concepts she wanted to explore. Um, when you look at the blog post, you'll see there's 
a, a version of the layout that sort of had um, like four identical armchairs around uh, like a circular coffee table. She mm -hmm. pulled a lot of images of that, which does have kind of this like classy formal feel to it, almost like you're walking into like a bougie hotel lobby sure. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, but I also want to explore the option of like a sofa with chairs because um, we can fit more people. It's a little bit more flexible, less formal too. But she just didn't know if she had the space for it. Um, I looked at the room and I was like, you absolutely have the space for it, but I could see why if you weren't, you know, used to figuring out scale and space, she might have thought like, oh, we just don't have enough room. Oh, for sure. That. Sure. So you came up with a concept based on all the measurements she gave you. What did the end result end up looking like? Yeah. So with the day sessions, it's client executed. So the deliverables that they walk away with are going to be a to scale floor plan that you know, shows where your furniture pieces are going to go in their exact sizes. Um, all sort of labeled. Um, sometimes I'll give like a reference measurement. So, you know, like this, this rug should sit this far away from the wall. Um, and then they also walk away with um, a style board or a mood board, whatever you want to call it, that shows all the exact pieces I've selected for them um, that correlates to that floor plan. And then along with those two things, there's um, a link to an online shopping list that has all the exact pieces of furniture based on the plan that they can then slowly execute over time. So it's it's great for clients who don't want to like pull the trigger on everything right away because then they can sort of, you know, say, okay, I'm going to get the sofa now. I'm going to get the armchairs sure. in two months. Oh, that's <laughs> absolutely perfect. Yeah, I love that idea because that's how I roll. I would want to do it in mm -hmm. stages. But I'd love having a plan, having my measurements for where I can put things. Like you said, uh, we don't do this on a regular basis. A lot of us don't. And we don't yeah. really realize what's what's possible, what's not possible, and all of that. That was a virtual session, right? That's what you called that one? It was, yep. So mm -hmm. that's just one of the things that you offer. That's what you did with that particular space. I'll put a link to the blog post in the show notes if people want to check it out. Right now I want to take a break, and then when we come back on the other side, let's get into some specifics, some practical tips, some how-tos for people who have kids. What can we do to try to make some of our spaces feel like maybe both both sets, both generations of people live here, not just the little ones. Does that work for you? Perfect. Sounds great, Dan. All right. We'll be back in just a minute with Lauren Figueroa. Stay tuned. And we're back. You're listening to the Repcolite Home Improvement Show, sponsored by Benjamin Moore. And I am on the phone with Lauren Figueroa from Lauren Figueroa Interior Designs. Lauren, thanks for hanging with me over the break. Hey, Dan. Good to be back. Yeah. Now, we just finished talking about a space that you virtually helped a client with. Uh, somebody from, where were they from? Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky gets a hold of Lauren on the east side of the state, and virtually they work out a plan for helping this person take a sitting room and make it feel like adults live in this house as well. You know, they must have little kids <laughs> and they wanted a space that felt like, hey, this isn't the whole house isn't overrun by children. And those mm -hmm. of us with kids know what that feels like. We know what our houses look like. And maybe maybe we're telling ourselves like I did all the time I had my little kids at home, kept telling myself this is just what it is. This is what happens when you're a parent. <laughs> you check all your design ideas at the door, and you let little kids run rampant to some extent, not entirely. <laughs> but let's talk about some practical things that we could do 
maybe if we, you know, maybe we have a specific space that we can set aside, that we can make an adult space or whatever. Maybe we don't. Maybe we got to find a way to live together in this space. Lauren, how would you help somebody if I came to you, for example, 10 years ago and said, I've got five little kids. Everything feels like chaos. It's all like a nursery everywhere I look or a toy room. <laughs> what do I do? What, what are some practical things I can do? Yeah, well, uh, that particular scenario, it sounds like we're we're looking for some interesting storage solutions. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and you know, I know a lot of times when you think about kids' spaces or spaces that have kids in them, you picture like cubbies, you know, the, the Ikea cubbies with bins in it, and they always look cluttered and crazy. Um, the, on the so pictures, say, they look nice, but in reality... On the pictures, they do. In reality. It's chaos. <laughs> Yeah. So um, in that scenario, I would say, how can we maybe create something visually that's a little bit more mature and also that has the option to hide? So maybe that's something like um, some, you know, like a coffee table ottoman that doubles as storage. Maybe it's like a large upholstered ottoman where the top comes up or like a large woven basket that's very deep. So you have a lot of space in there. Um, even recently I've been suggesting, you know, okay, instead of these cubbies, which feel very childlike and often, you know, inexpensive looking, mm -hmm. let's do, um, a more interesting sideboard or credenza that's a little deeper and has doors. So we can put those same storage bins inside of it and close the doors. We're getting the same amount of storage, but it actually looks like an intentional piece of furniture because it is in an adult space. Sure. Um, so, yeah, just thinking about those storage solutions a little bit differently. Yeah, I think that's definitely something to think about. I know when I look into that or think about it, I, I read about all these options are out there. You've seen them. They really exist, right? Design, you know, options mm -hmm. that look good, but that will offer me a fair amount of storage yet. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, so absolutely. I know it exists. What about this? I'm always curious about, you know, like you're, you're trying to make an area for the kids. I, I'm torn on this idea. I'm not sure which is the best way to go. But let's say I'm making, you know, they love to do crafts. Kids mm -hmm. generally love to do crafts. So what I had typically done was we got a little kid's play table and stuff like that and crammed it into a space. Then I'm running into stuff where they're saying, hey, don't do that. Get stuff that looks better for your space. For example, I have an antique um, child's desk, I guess, from ages back. We refinished it and painted it. It's perfectly sized for them, but it doesn't quite look like kid decor. I mean, is that another way we can go that you like? Or... Oh, yeah. I love that. And I, I feel like the great thing about antiques or vintage pieces is they already have that sort of like patinaed look that a kid is going to give something new anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels intentional and you don't have to worry about like getting a little scratch or a nick on it because it already has that look to it. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was a really good idea. All of that, you know, th those are things that I think are, are they're very practical. And I think the biggest thing, like you said right off the bat, is just figuring out the storage. You know, there are good yes. options out there that can look great in any space and antiques you know, antiques is, you know, maybe conveys an idea that this is incredibly valuable, but older pieces <laughs> also can supply those needs, you know, so don't completely think you got to go buy something brand new to, to fill that storage, you know, need. But here's something that I ran into that I thought was a little bit intriguing. 
So I'm going to just read it because it will give you an idea of where the person is going. And here's the quote. Basically, according to design psychology, our earliest experiences with home have the power to shape our sensibilities. That all makes sense. When we have a home that fulfills our psychological need for love and belonging, it goes a long way in making us feel valued, which turns into you know a sense of competence, all of that. Basically, what the author is getting at and goes on to say in a lot of words, but to sum it up, in order to grow into well-adjusted, competent humans, the person is saying children need to feel seen in their own home. What they're getting at is that if we make our homes, you know, all the things that I just talked about, let's create storage solutions that look like adults live here, but hidden inside are the kids' things. That person is saying that this is a bad way to go psychologically. Now, I know, well, I don't know if you're a psychologist or not. I'm guessing that you're not. <laughs> I'm not. I feel like one, but. <laughs> but we can make a guess on this. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I think it's probably a little bit of both and. Um, because if the, the parent is incredibly stressed about toys being everywhere and feeling overwhelmed visually because it's overstimulating, the kid is going to feel that stress from the parent too. Um, so I think it's about finding that balance, you know, how can we have a place that's comfortable for an adult, but that a kid can function within too. So, you know, like, I think a good example would be like making sure your sofa is a performance fabric, something that, you know, looks nice, but you don't have to feel super stressed about if a sticky finger gets wiped on it because it's easy to clean. Um, you know, it looks great and it's stylish, but the kid is able to play on it as well. I think that's so key. I mean, that again, that's perfect. If the parent isn't comfortable or happy in the space, it doesn't matter how happy the kid might be. There's going to be a lot of tension. I know what that is. I've brought that tension into our home, We're tripping <laughs> over Legos and stuff like that. So finding that compromise between both things. And I think when we're creating this space, you know, with all of our storage solutions and all of that, and the fabrics and the couches and the furniture pieces we use, finding pieces that the kids can live with, you know, live on without stressing us out is is really key too. like performance fabrics and things that aren't, we're not sinking millions of dollars into these furniture pieces because kids will play with it and, you know, use it. And that's all important, finding that balance. Absolutely. All right, Lauren, that's all the time we've got for this. Why don't you give out your contact info if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, best place to find me is my website. So LF, as in Lauren Figueroa, lfdesigns.co. And that is also my handle on Instagram. So that's a fun way to keep up with the, the day to day. Awesome. We will put links in the show notes for all of that. If any of you out there have some questions, design questions, Lauren's got answers, even if you live in Kentucky or further, right, Lauren? You can help everybody. <laughs> Absolutely, I right. can, yes. Perfect. Lauren Figueroa, thanks so much for being here. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. And that's going to do it. That's all the time we've got for the whole show. We're going to wrap it up. If you want to catch it again, you can find it online at repcolite.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss another episode. And also there'll be links right there to the show notes so you can check out Lauren's contact information if you do want to reach out to her. Now, whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. The Repco Light stores are all open, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hansen. Thanks for listening.